everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Gin and Beer It. I am your host, Meg, and this week I am joined by Emily. Hi, Emily. Hi. From on Wednesdays We Make Drinks on Instagram. I absolutely love the handle. How are you doing, Emily? Thanks for joining today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm so excited. This whole concept of this podcast is so much fun, so I'm I'm very happy to be here. So Emily and I discovered each other on Instagram, um, which seems to be the only way that I meet guests <laughs> on this show, and I am completely fine with that, unless they were already my friends and I bribed them into being on the show. Um, but Emily and I have a ridiculous amount in common. You guys can probably hear that we have a similar accent, similar enough at least, um, because we're both American. And we're both living in London, so (laughs) that's exciting. Kindred spirits. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, I feel like nowadays, especially with COVID, that's enough for me to feel like we're the same person. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And as I said, you have a cocktail-based Instagram account. It's called On Wednesdays We Make Drinks, which is fitting because we happen to be recording this on a Wednesday. I love that. So do you want to tell the listeners a bit about yourself, about your account, how you got into cocktail making, all of that stuff? Yeah, sure. So uh, as Meg said, I am American, uh, living in London, and we happen to be living like 10 minutes from each other, which is uh, super convenient. Um, So yeah, I have been living in London for a couple of years. Um, I got into cocktail making during COVID. Um, I needed a hobby as we all did. And that was, that was mine. Um, I've always enjoyed cocktails. Uh, and I, I mean, I love a cocktail bar. Um, whenever I visit a new city, I love to, to visit a new cocktail bar. I'm from the Washington DC area and DC has some great cocktail bars. So I've always enjoyed drinking cocktails, but I'd never made one myself beyond like a gin and tonic. Um, so at the beginning of COVID, I moved back home to Maryland to stay with my mom for a couple months. And she had gotten me this really great book called a drinkable feast. Um, and it basically was a collection of cocktail recipes and stories of American expats living in Paris during prohibition. So it was all like prohibition era cocktails. And I, it was a really interesting book, a lot of history, but I wanted to make the cocktails. So I ordered myself a little mixology set from uh, the internet and went out and bought a bunch of ingredients and just sort of taught myself. Um, So that was kind of how I got into it. And so all through last year, I mixed cocktails for myself and my mom. Um, When I moved back to London, I, you know, I would... I brought my little mixology kit with me and I would make cocktails for myself. And towards the end of the year, I decided to sort of give myself a challenge for 2021 because I tended to make a lot of the same cocktails. I'm a big gin drinker. I always have been, always will be. And I just usually gravitate towards the same basic cocktails. And I wanted to expand my horizons a little bit and and get into other areas of, of different spirits and different flavors. So I decided to sort of challenge myself to make a new drink every week for 2021. And one of my housemates suggested that I start an Instagram just to sort of of track my progress. And I thought that it was going to be maybe, you know, my friends and family following me on this Instagram and it just being kind of like a fun journal sort of, right, to to track my my progress through the year. And it ended up really taking off. and I've really enjoyed it. I've made some genuine friends through through the sort of mixology community on Instagram. And I've been doing Instagram lives. I've been doing different challenges. It's It's been really, really fun. So my 
on my Instagram, I post a cocktail at least every Wednesday. Um, so I did post a cocktail today. Um, but I will also try, you know, post, post some other things here and there. Um, and it's just been a really fun challenge. There are some days when, or some weeks when it's a little bit more stressful now that we're out in the real world doing things. Yeah. I'm like, oh God, I have to make sure that I make a cocktail this week. But when I started in January in the middle of lockdown in London, um, it was a it was a pretty fun way to pass Definitely. the time and stay sane. So yeah, I've just, I really enjoyed it. No, that's fantastic. Your account is excellent. Everyone listening should definitely check it out. Um, but I completely agree with what you said. I feel like I've said it before on the show, but I was not expecting when I pivoted this podcast to be about cocktail, well, just drinking in general, I was not expecting the community on the internet, but specifically Instagram to be so friendly. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, just for example, like not to slam on anything, but I'm a huge Disney fanatic. Like I'm really into Disney, like Disney Mm -hmm. World, um, like the theme parks. And there's a couple groups on social media, Facebook and stuff. One of them actually just went viral because of how horrible people on it are. Um, and yeah, I mean, Disney is like meant to be the most wholesome thing in the world. Like it's supposed to be magical and for kids and these groups online, people are just nasty. Like the tiniest thing, this is a complete separate tangent from what we should be talking about. But so basically that is my frame of reference for Mm -hmm. what the internet is like. So I was not expecting a bunch of piss heads, basically, yeah. a bunch of people who love to drink to be the nicest people I have mm-hmm. ever come across on the internet. And honestly, that is exactly what my, I mean, obviously you and I met over yeah. Instagram, like so many guests on this podcast, just pe- like everyone is so helpful, mm-hmm. so encouraging, so friendly, you know, when we're not in lockdown, people are willing to meet up. Like it's a yeah. proper community. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's great that you got into it, um, during lockdown. And I also completely echo your sentiment about it being difficult to keep up with things now that life is coming back to full swing. Um, I have, I mean, that, that's why I've had quite a long hiatus from the podcast just because I just needed a bit of a break to adjust to things reopening. Um, but it's still just, it's great that you do it. Um, and it's such a cool challenge to have set for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I've already just learn so much more about mixology um, just from the, from the people that I've encountered and, and just testing things out on my own. Um, and my a big thing about my account is that I think when you first sort of enter the sort of mixology space on Instagram, it can be really intimidating because yeah. it's a lot of professionals yeah. who have really legit equipment, who yeah. have full-on cameras and the most amazing collection of glassware. And it's gorgeous, and I love that, and it's really aspirational but it's not accessible yeah. for the average person and for me it's like all of my glassware is either from thrift shops yeah. or you know cheap on um, the whiskey exchange which yeah. is where I get a lot of my, my glassware I don't have the you know most high quality like top shelf liquor I don't have a fancy camera I shoot with my iPhone like it's not I just I want to the message I want to send is like you can still have an elevated drinking experience at home without all the bells and whistles. Yeah, definitely. Um, which is, you know, to me, it, one of the the best things about making drinks is that it's just a nice thing to do for yourself. Yeah, and it doesn't have to 
you know, you don't have to have any fancy equipment. Um, it, it can be something that, that everyone can try. Definitely. No, I love that. And I mean, I think that your photo quality is excellent. Um, so it like, it definitely seems like <laughs> a lot of mode, effort. Is, yeah, but no, but I know exactly what you mean. Cause I, I mean, and also like as a podcaster and obviously I try to invest a decent amount in decent sound mm-hmm. quality, but I'm, I am not a photographer. So when I kind of got into the Instagram thing with drinking, I was so intimidated. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it, but it's still just a, you know, a lovely community. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but yeah, I think, I think, you know, I, I love following, like you say, the professionals and people who are, you know, bartenders and also have to yeah, be professional right. photographers <laughs> and it's fun, but it is also nice to just see people like yourself who it's like, here's how you do this yeah. at home. Um, have you found, cause I, I sort of have that the, the, the drinks that you've made, what you've learned, the experiences that you've had at home, um, since lockdown, do you feel like that's kind of changed your experience or your mentality when you go out and have a drink now that we're actually allowed yeah, to go out? A hundred percent. I mean, it's yeah. Uh, so before I sort of started this journey, when I would go to a cocktail bar, I would just scan the menu for gin. Yeah. Um, and in, in the U S I would say in general and DC in particular, the cocktail scene hasn't really embraced gin again as a spirit I feel like it sort of went out of fashion and it and it hasn't necessarily come fully back so there will be cocktail bars that will have one gin cocktail on you on a menu of 10 drinks whereas I mean we live in London half of a cocktail menu here is is gin you can't avoid it so before that really limited um Mm -hmm. my choices at at a cocktail bar and you know I would I love a margarita, you know, I would, you know, there would be other things that I, that I might have, but genuinely that's what I would gravitate towards. And so now that I've started making things on my own, I've discovered some spirits that I just never would have gone out of my way to try. For example, I really love mezcal. Yeah. That's actually the, the drink that I made and posted today Mm -hmm. is a, is a mezcal cocktail. And I hadn't, tried it before I started making it myself. And it's now some of my favorite cocktails that I've made so far have been mezcal based. And so now when I go out to bar, I am so much more excited to look through the cocktail menu. I feel like I've got so many more choices now that I've sort of forced myself to broaden my horizons. Definitely. Yeah. No, I, I feel the same. I like, I think to be perfectly honest, I think that COVID and drinking at home has had both positive and negative <laughs> impacts on my outlook. Like, yeah. I, like from the positive perspective, completely agree with what you just said. Um, I also think I'm much more likely if I go out to a restaurant and, oh yeah, you know, it might be nice to order something that, you know, I'm used to drinking, but I, I'll see a spirit, like it's, oh, like plantation rum. And I'm right. like, I've been wanting to try that, or that's not something that I can get at home. Or, you know, I recently went to a Mexican restaurant that had an incredible mezcal list. And I'm like, I, cause I don't have any mezcal in my bar currently. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, I'm going to take it, you know, I'm not yeah. just going to get a regular margarita cause I can, I love them, you but can I do, can make, you them, make at them at home. Yeah. hundred percent. So that, that's been a really positive experience. Um, I also think as well, like I recently went to a tiki restaurant up in the Islington a couple of weeks ago. Um, I make a lot of tiki drinks at home, mm-hmm. but you know, it, I, you're limited because a tiki drinks a lot of times have really specific ingredients mm. that as a, you know, home person who doesn't, you know, drinks is not actually my profession, right. <laughs> you know, as much as I would, lo- would love for it to be. Um, so there's a lot of ingredients that, yeah, I go to a tiki bar and 
Mm-hmm. Can't try. And tiki drinks are so involved that I remember when I went to that tiki bar a couple of weeks ago, I, I had so much, you know, even though they're expensive, like in London, you know, upwards yeah. of 20 pounds yeah. for a single drink. But it, I just appreciate it. I was like, oh, especially after months of making them for myself, like yeah. someone else <gasps> took the time to make this for me. Yeah. Um, so that's been a really positive experience. On the negative side, I do feel like I think I've used this example on the podcast so many times, but like with Negronis and stuff Mm. and with London prices, it's like you go to a bar and it's like 12 pounds for a Negroni where I'm going to be like, I actually prefer the one that I make at home better. (laughs) Um, And it makes me sound like such a snob, but I've just found that to be a really interesting, like I actually do think there's certain drinks that I avoid a bit more going out now just because I'm like, it's a bit, unless you're at a really nice cocktail bar, it's a bit unreliable what you're going to get and you might as well try something a bit different or something like that. So yeah, I can really relate to that. Um, I, I feel like I've, and I've said this on my Instagram a couple of times, I've made drinks where I would never order them at the bar unless I was at a really nice cocktail bar where I know that they're going to have way nicer ingredients that I have. You know, I made a revolver recently Mm. and I liked it a lot more than I expected. I am not a bourbon and whiskey drinker right, okay. in the slightest. I, I have embraced it more yeah. since, since kind of starting my cocktail journey, but I was, I was really pleasantly surprised by this revolver, which is, um, bourbon, uh, coffee liqueur and orange bitters. And I was like, you know what? This isn't a drink that I'm necessarily going to make my, make for myself on the regular, but if I'm in a nice cocktail bar, yeah. then that would, then yeah. I would love to, to try their version of it. Whereas something like a Negroni, which yeah. I also very much love, I just, it's going to be overpriced. They may not have the quality of liquor yeah. that I'm looking for. I'd rather try something new. Yeah. I know that that's, that's completely how I am. And I think, you know, in, I, I would argue in the UK more so than in the US. Um, I just think there's more variety of bars here because obviously you have the, the whole pop culture. I'm not saying mm-hmm. there's not variety of bars in America. Of course there is. But like, I mean, I do think in general, there's just more bars here. Um, And I just think like you learn after living here what the specialty of different places is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like, like my local, I mean, they like, you know, well, our local, we live in the same area. (laughs) They have a really good gin selection. um, But, you know, it like I'm... I'm not necessarily going to try to order some crazy craft cocktail from them. And in the same way that most pubs, like unless I really fancy a glass of wine, I'm probably not going to get a glass of wine just because, you know, it's like you're going to pay four times and it's going to be, you know, (laughs) so it's just like you learn. Um, But yeah, it's interesting to hear that you've had a similar experience. Mm -hmm. So what has been your favorite drink that you've made so far in your weekly cocktails? Yeah, um, I have said it before in my Instagram and I will say it again and again and again. Um, it's this great cocktail from um, this fantastic book called Gin Austin. I am a big Gin Austin fan. I am a Gin fan. Yeah. So um, this this book is fantastic, um, and they're all the drinks are kind of they have cute little punny names. Um, and it's this fantastic drink that I'm gonna forget all the specific ingredients, even though I love it so much. But it's uh, gin, uh, pineapple juice, orgeat and Angostura bitters. There's something else that I'm, I'm forgetting, maybe like lemon. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, it was almost, it gave me slight pina colada vibes, yeah, but a yeah. lot lighter. And it was the first time that I'd ever tried Orgeat, which is this, uh, it's almond syrup. Um, and I, 
So I ordered some online because it's not ne- necessarily something you can find at Sainsbury's Definitely all the time. Definitely not, no. um, So I ordered it online, and it's from the brand Monin, which does all the, the, one I have. All the syrups, yeah. right? Yeah. And I've bought many of their syrups before. They usually come in the kind of standard, like, mid-size, yeah. you know, reasonably-sized bottle. And I was like, that's perfect because I've never tried this before. I don't know how many drinks I'm going to put this in. Um, turns out I misordered and ordered the biggest bottle that I mean this is like the size of maybe a bottle of Aperol like it is oh that's that's the yeah yeah, I've got it it over there yeah the the biggest bottle I've ever seen and I was like okay well I hope I like this because I'm gonna be putting it in a lot of cocktails and I loved it and I every drink that I've put or shot in since I've enjoyed that it completely elevates it no I'm an absolute slut for Mai Tais um Mm -hmm. and that I mean that is what makes a Mai Tai a Mai Tai in my opinion so yeah I mean a, a lot of people I think would slate Monin syrups, but as you said, first of all, Orjat, like back in America, you have, well, I don't know if you do on the East Coast, but uh, like in the Midwest, we have Binnie's, which is like this massive, uh-huh. you know, like liquor store, and they have all of those ingredients. So my dad has all these different brands of Orjat that he, because he also is a slut for my time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I get it from. Um, that you could pick from here, like you said, you have the whiskey exchange and stuff like that, but you do, you certainly can't get it at Sainsbury's Waitrose, right, right. Um, your corner shop, and that limits you to the internet and what the internet has is moaning. So um, yeah, and and it's you know, and that's again like going back to kind of the issue of accessibility. Yeah, you know that's what the average person is going to yeah. be able to afford and find. So. No, I'm I mean, quite it, happy to use that. yeah, and it also goes like you, like we were saying about going out, and you know, if I go out and a bar says that, you know, probably a tiki bar says that they have house made or a jot, I'm super excited about yeah. that. Like, I love the notion of making it myself, but I think problem as well is that with the bottled versions, it is shelf stable. So mm-hmm. I also have that, you know, 750 ml bottle, but it's gonna last me because it's got all those chemicals and crap yep. in it. And I, you know, I get it, but it's like if I were to basically make it you know get the cheesecloth and make it with the almonds it's like I'm sure it would taste really fresh but it would last in my fridge for like five days right and And it's not you don't need a lot of it to go into a drink yeah no um, yeah although speaking of making things yourself one of the other real winners of my experience so far has been homemade vegan baileys Mm. so i'm vegan and which in the mixology space is not really doesn't come up that often except with egg whites um so i use aquafaba which is chickpea water instead of egg whites and i find that it works it's like almost a perfect match um but I, for St. Patrick's Day, was making this Jameson mudslide, and it called for Bailey's, and the vegan, so Bailey's makes a vegan version mm-hmm. now, sold out absolutely oh, everywhere. Of Could not find it. And I was like, well, there's got to be a way to make it on my own. So I made it on my own. It was incredibly simple. It was just, you know, threw some ingredients in a blender, and it was the smoothest mm. I've ever tasted. I will, I will never buy Bailey's. a bottle of Bailey's yeah. again. It was phenomenal and I had everyone who came over to my house to like I had them try it and they yeah. all agreed it was really really fantastic I, I haven't made it since because you know we're heading into warmer weather it's yeah. not really the time but let's go come, sit in the sun and drink some beer. yeah yeah come winter time I'm gonna be having a batch of that just On always hand. at the ready yeah oh I'll have to hit you up for that mm-hmm. recipe because that sounds great yeah um so the cocktail that you told me that you want to discuss today is the bee's knees, mm-hmm. which I love. Um, so tell me a bit about the bee's knees and why you chose it. Yeah. So the bee's knees, uh, for those who don't know, is a gorgeous little very simple drink made with gin, honey, and lemon juice. It's one of the first, if not the first cocktail that I made when I first got my mixology set. Um, 
I think the first one I had was at this great little speakeasy called Denson's in DC, uh, which is close to Gallery Place for anyone, if anyone might be listening to, to, uh, to the podcast from DC. And so I made it because I knew that my mom was going to love it. I knew that I was going to love it. And I figured it would be a, a good way to kind of break in my mixology set. Um, and I, what I love about it is that it's so simple, it's perfectly balanced. And I think it's a really good example of how simple cocktails can be really rewarding it's a pretty classic uh, ratio for cocktails. It's two ounces of gin, usually an ounce of lemon juice, usually a half ounce, maybe an ounce of honey mm-hmm. if you, you want to skew it that way. And it's just a really beautifully balanced drink. And that's the same formula for a gimlet, for a margarita, you know, All for so sours, many, for a daiquiri, yeah. right? It's, it's, you know, I think a really good intro yep. into mixology, although I will say my first thought was a Negroni and then I saw you'd already done a podcast about Negroni. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's, that's why I chose it. it. It has a special place in my heart in that my mom, it's one of her favorites. And so when I'm at home and, and I'll make a cocktail for us at the end of the day, it's, it's a nice one to make for her. Um, and I'm very close to, with my mom. So you know, that, that it has that sort of like nostalgia and sentimentality as well. But I think it's just a really great introduction. Uh, I also think it's great if you're not usually a gin drinker, Mm -hmm. the gin isn't overly forward. I mean, if you use a gin that, that has really strong botanicals, maybe it can overpower the drink, but otherwise it's not going to be, you know, the the first flavor you're going to get isn't going to be juniper. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's just a great introduction to gin. It's great introduction to mixology and it just, Every single time, no matter the quality of the ingredients, it's going to be a tasty sip. Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, it is. I agree with you about it's it being a good introduction because it is like you said, just the standard sour formula basically, mm-hmm. and it's just very refreshing. Like I think it it sits well as like a nighttime cocktail, mm-hmm. like a martini. It's not as strong as a martini, but like a martini. But it's. I also think you could drink it during the day because it's just very light. Yeah. Um, so in terms of history of the drink, I have a little bit of mm-hmm. a little bit of notes here, but um, the Bee's Knees is a Prohibition era cocktail, which is very cool, as you said, with gin, lemon juice, and honey. Um, I think, like a lot of other cocktails from this time, you know, it's a bit blurred who mm-hmm. actually invented yeah. it. According to Liquor.com, it's credited to Frank Meyer. Yep. Um, who is an Austrian-born bartender, and I think he made this at the Ritz in mm-hmm. Paris in the 20s, um, which, you know, would have been like Hemingway era, so that's quite mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and the name just comes from, you know, Bees Knees being slang at that yeah. time for something being really cool. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think, I think like you said, the, the benefit to it is really that it doesn't necessarily matter what gin you use, you know, when I was, Mm -hmm. when I was doing research online, um, uh, you know, there were people saying like, Oh, it's really great if you use Hendrix and a bit of thyme and I can see how that would be really nice and botanical. But I also think you can just use, I, when I made them for us earlier, Tanqueray or whatever. Um, because I, I think the honey, well, actually, and I was watching a, a video 
from the Educated Barfly, who I bring up on every single episode <laughs> of the show, shout out to Leandro, um, I was watching his video of making a bee's knees, and he was saying, I think part of the history of it was that they they added the lemon and honey because gin back in the day yes, was just so was horrible. Yeah, gin. Yeah, yep. exactly. <laughs> um, and, you know, he he makes one himself and he just says, yeah, like it is it is a honey forward drink. Mm-hmm. Um, not in the sense that it's overly sweet, but as you said, I think you'd have to have a really, really, you know, funky gin for yeah, the for gin to really, to really mm-hmm. stand out. Um, so I also completely agree with you that it, I do think it's a good drink for people who might not normally reach mm-hmm. for gin. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I will just note, so when I, so I did my own little bit of research on the history, um, because I was like, you know what, I love this drink and I've, I've actually never looked it up. Um, and just the, the one dispute, uh, in terms of the potential origin of it is that I, I read that there's a popular theory that it was invented by the unsinkable Molly Brown. Oh my um, God. And I am a, I was a huge fan of Titanic growing up. Um, shout out to young Leonardo DiCaprio. And, um, so when I read that, I was like, Oh, this is, this is so interesting. Um, but the article that I read just sort of went on to, to, so for those who don't know, Molly Brown was a passenger on the Titanic and she was a very wealthy woman and she survived. And so the, who was played by Kathy Bates in the film, which was like the best casting ever. Real standout (laughs) character. Um, and, but the article that I read went on to say that it's most likely that she didn't actually invent it. She just, she was wealthy. She spent a lot of time in Paris. She probably popularized it, it yeah. more. Um, but some theories trace it back to her, which I think is really fun. I mean, one of my favorite things about my like podcast journey with drinking, because I end up doing a lot of history research, is, I mean, there's so you know, any drink that was, and some, some of the drinks even that were made in like the eighties, you know, even like the espresso martini, mm-hmm. you know, the whole, like, <laughs> you know, wake me up and fuck me up thing. Like, yeah. like we all love to believe that it was Kate Moss that said that and maybe it was, or maybe it wasn't. Right. Um, but that's the thing is that like, it's so muddled and who, and also who really does invent a drink when there's so many different variations you could, yeah. you might popularize something, but someone could have made it in their basement 40 years ago. Right. So I love that you can kind of just choose what you want to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so, yeah, I mean, this Frank Meyer guy sounds nice, but I actually love the idea that the unsinkable Molly Brown yeah. came up with it. Um, cause I too was obsessed with the Titanic as a kid. Yeah, I, um, I, so I remember back, uh, you know, for those Americans listening, you remember the AMC, I don't know if they still do this, but did sort of like a weekend of movies where they would play the same movie Friday, Saturday, yeah. and Sunday night. And when I was, I think, 12, um, I watched it for the first time on the Friday night, and then I watched it again on the Saturday night, yeah. and again on the Sunday night, and on the Monday, I went out and bought a DVD of it, and I think I watched it every day yeah. for the rest of that week. I was like, my mind is blown. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I was obsessed with the film, I think, like, every kid born around the same time as us um but also just the history of the and like learning Mm -hmm. about it in school I think like magic school bus covered it and like all (laughs) like all that stuff and it's it makes me sound really morbid and macabre but I just really loved learning about the Titanic um and yeah I I went I think they did like a special like 15 year anniversary Mm -hmm. um showing and I remember going to see that with a friend um, I also think that like car scene was probably my sexual awakening. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean Leonardo DiCaprio in general. I think yeah, my sexual awakening. Yeah. Um, so yeah, shout out, shout out to that. But no, I, I love that. I did not read that about Unsinkable Molly Brown. Yeah, but that's yeah. I mean, who knows? But I just love the fact that it's like this was a uh, hundred years ago, and that, yeah. that theory has still kind of. 
been passed down. Um, also, just a fun little note on the sort of prohibition era drinks and gin in general. Um, so F. Scott Fitzgerald is buried in the town next to my hometown. Wow. Rockville, Maryland. Um, there is a grave graveyard. So Zelda Fitzgerald's family was from the area, and so her family graveyard was there, and they were buried in the same graveyard. And it's quite close to the Rockville Metro for anyone from, from the D.C. area. And when you visit the grave, there is always at least one bottle of gin. I love that. Sitting on the grave. And some people will go and, like, kind of toast to him mm-hmm. and then, like, leave a bottle. It's just a fun little fact. I love that. I'm going to go do that next time yeah. I'm in D.C. I haven't been to D.C. since I was, like, 15. Did um, you go to the Air and Space Museum when you were on a school trip? <laughs> I No, I did. You know, funnily enough, um, I actually went to D.C. on a family trip because my little sister went on a school trip. Mm-hmm. Um, Um, and my parents who aren't really helicopter parents, but are just very, I don't know. I think they just don't want anyone to have fun without them. They were like, (laughs) we're not, we're not. Yeah. yeah." So, you know, she was 10 at the time I was 15 and they were like, we're just going to make this a family trip. Um, and like, we left her to her thing. Like we never saw her, but we were all like in DC at the same time, which is, yeah. Yeah. Um, so no, I mean, we did, yeah, we did like the Smithsonian and, and all of that, um, but I would definitely like to go back um, now that I'm like an yeah. adult of drinking age and check out the DC scene. There's honestly, I gotta say, uh, I mean, obviously we're spoiled for choice in London, um, but DC has a really strong cocktail scene. Yeah. There's some really fantastic speakeasies. So the next time you're there, let me know and I will send you some I recommendations. Absolutely will. Absolutely will. So I feel like that's a pretty good segue, um, unless there's anything else about the bee's knees that you want to know. Um, there's just, yeah, one quick thing. Um, when I was doing my research, I found a really fun variation of it. Ooh, tell me. So, um, well, two actually. So one, uh, very cute. It suggested that if you use old Tom gin, you can mm-hmm. call it the cat's whiskers. Aww. Um, so old Tom gin is, uh, basically the gin that came before London dry gin mm-hmm. in the history of gin. Um, and named after old Tom was a black cat. Um, and so I just thought that was a really cute name. Um, but then another one was if you add two dashes of absinthe and two dashes of orange bitters, it's called the oldest living Confederate widow. Oh, wow. And I was like, I have no idea where that... I did not fact check this. I just read it in an article, and I was like, that's a really interesting variation. Because all the other variations that I saw of it were kind of very simple yeah, swaps. Yeah. I was like, that's a pretty unique one. <laughs> I, no, I, I mean, that's, flavor-wise, that sounds like it would be really good. Yeah. Um, I just, I still have not ever bought absinthe for my home bar. Yeah, I had a pretty formative experience with absinthe when I was 18, uh, and it, I don't think I've had it since. Yeah, no, I, I don't, you're, I'm sure you're not alone. Um, I, like, I, the, I mean, that perfect example of when you and I were saying, like, oh, when we go out and, you know, we yeah. see something on a menu, like, I, I'll usually gravitate if there's a drink, even if it's just, like, it's washed in, in absinthe, just because it's not something that I, but it's just, it's so expensive, mm-hmm. and all of the recipes that I want to make with it, it's literally either like atomized or just spritzed on the go- like it's which not is, yeah, it's not yeah. even like any sort of like real amount of absinthe yeah, which is perfect like, yeah which flavor wise is fine but I just can't bring myself to spend 40 50 quid yeah on a bottle when that's how much is going to get used yeah um but yeah that's I mean I I have made a bee's knees with Jennifer before mm-hmm. um which I looked online and I think someone called it a bi gin I'm hoping I'm mm pronouncing that correctly sour because I think Bijan is Dutch for B um, which is cute Um, and that's really good Um, I've only recently just started trying Jennifer um, and that Jennifer is kind of for anyone who doesn't know like the precursor to gin it's like you know it's like the great uncle of gin basically Mm -hmm. Um, and it's kind of 
It's gin, but it's I'd say it's more woodsy, oaky. Um, it I think it if you're and I'm directing this towards my parents if they're listening because my <laughs> parents are big whiskey drinkers and they don't like gin. If you're a whiskey person who usually shies away from gin, I think Jennifer is something worth trying because I think it's yeah, it's I, more in that family. It's, it's interesting that you bring that up. I just this past Saturday did a gin safari at Mr. Fogg's Gin Parlor Love in Covent Garden, which was fantastic. It was a birthday present from uh, two of my best friends from home. Shout out to Katie and Haley. Um, and it was, we tried, the four gins that we tried were Jennifer, Old Tom Gin, London Dry Gin, and a Slow Gin. And I don't think I'd ever had Jennifer before. Yeah. And when we smelled it, it smelled like paint thinner. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it, I was like, this is ever clear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, when I tried it, I was very pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Um, it was... You really can tell that it is a precursor to gin. It's got the the juniper flavor yeah, there, definitely. but it doesn't have the smoothness yeah. of a of a more recent distilled gin. Yeah. But I I would love to try a cocktail with it. So I'm definitely gonna keep an eye out for a yeah Jennifer based bee's knees. Yeah, no, I think um, it, it's cool. Like I I got a bottle of it, um, and it's you know I don't I, I don't think th- I haven't made that many drinks that are like specific to Jennifer, like that's what Jennifer's known for. I think it's just fun to replace drinks that you'd normally make with a different mm-hmm. spirit with Jennifer and just see how it tastes. And yeah. I think a bee's knees is a, is a good, mm-hmm. um, is a good example, but yeah, um, I had never even heard of it until, until probably a couple months ago. Yeah. So the things that you learn, mm. um, but anyway, so what, I mean, what has been your experience? What, what would you say is the most striking difference between Cocktail culture, drinking culture, drinks in general between the U.S. and the U.K. I have to ask this because we're... Yeah, of course. Um, So, I mean, I I, I think the biggest thing is what different... The the, the difference that the drinking age makes. Yeah, Um, absolutely. uh, Because I think in general, people drink more in the U.K. Yes. But in the U.S., young drinkers drink just an insane amount and it's... It's a little bit out of control, and I say this as someone who has been through that culture. Yeah. You know, so it's it's. I think that I, I'm I'm in favor of lowering the, lowering the drinking age in in the U.S. because I think that um, when when you go to college, when you go to university, and are around alcohol potentially for the first time, and your parents have never had a conversation with you about how to drink responsibly. Yeah. yeah. You just go absolutely wild. Yeah. You don't know your limits. And I think it's a lot more dangerous. Yeah, I So even agree. though I would say on average, people in the UK probably drink more, they drink a little bit more responsibly. That said, I, <laughs> you know, I know that the drinking culture can get out of hand in the UK as well. Um, I just think for young drinkers, yeah, you're not, you're just not as, you're, you're not as prepared yeah. in, in yeah. the US. And I was lucky that, my, you know, my parents were not naive about yeah, what yeah. drinking culture was going to be like at college. And so I wasn't going in blind, but it just, I think it, it was a lot. And I said, and I, I, you know, I haven't been to university in the UK. Like I can't, I can't necessarily compare it directly, but I would say that it's a lot more dangerous to have the drinking age be 21 in the US. Yeah. I just, I mean, I, cause I don't know. I, I've heard enough stories about university drinking culture from friends and people here that I like, I do think that 18 year olds here 
you know, try to kill themselves with their drinking and like, like 18 year olds in general. So it's not as much that for me. I think it's more, I know this is like a really old fashioned thing to say, but like the fact that you could, you know, serve in the army and yeah. like you could go to war and yeah. not even be allowed you can to die drink. for your like, country and you yeah, can't buy like, beer. you know, like it's just <laughs> like that, like it's just, it, it does. But I also think that it's so deeply ingrained in the two cultures at this point. Um, and there's weird things like here, people's 21st birthday in the UK is still a massive deal, even though it bears no right. like, legal significance, <laughs> which I, I think that's literally just picked up from like American pop culture. Yeah. Um, so there's little things like that. Um, yeah, I do. It is just interesting. Like I, I think like I completely agree. I think that people in the UK drink way more myself included when I'm present here. <laughs> um, but I also just think like, it's just a better, the experience, you know, the experience is like, it, I just remember one of the last times I was back at home and it was like, you just want to go somewhere for a drink and you're like, it's not like you want to get wasted. Yeah. And that this is in Chicago. Like this wasn't in, this was in a, in an urban city and you just want to go sit somewhere and just have an alcoholic beverage. And it was like, we walked like three blocks. I mean, mm. Chicago's, Chicago has amazing cocktail right. bars, but it's, it's just not, whereas here it's like, you'd be hard pressed to find a, a street in London the, yeah. without a pub <laughs> or somewhere to go, or even a coffee shop that also serves beer yeah. or serves wine. And I just like, I like, and that's not just the UK. I think that's European culture in mm-hmm. general. Um, that I really like that. Um, and you know, if I were to move home, I think I would miss that a lot because it's just, it's not as, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta say at least where I used to live in DC, I did not have that problem. (laughs) Um, I had a lot of really great cocktail bars around me, but I do, it's interesting because so in the UK, I love the pub culture, but what I miss is wine bars. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I studied abroad in Italy for, uh, six months when I was an undergrad and I was very spoiled by my local wine bar yeah. there and I have spent so every year since trying to find its equal. Yeah. But in DC, there were some really nice places to go and have a good glass of wine. And as you mentioned earlier, you're not going to get a good glass of wine at in a, a pub, pub no. right? There are some nice wine bars. I actually worked at a wine bar in Streatham uh, for a couple months during COVID. And there are some really wonderful ones, but they're really, you got to find them. Yeah. You got to seek yeah. them out. And that's something that I miss. I miss having, because there's just, it's just a different culture. Yeah. A wine bar is somewhere that, like, I would go by myself, take a book, have a nice glass of yeah, wine. Yeah, it sounds a like a wine nibble. cafe, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Whereas, like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not necessarily going to go by myself to a pub and have a pint. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, I completely agree. Um, it's, I mean, I, you know, it's also, I think you just get nostalgic for weird things. Like, <laughs> my boyfriend and I were watching something American the other day. I can't remember what. Um, but the guys ordered, they had a pitcher of beer like Mm -hmm. at the table and I like, I love pub culture here. I love getting pints. Um, but I was just sat there and I was like, you know what? I actually really, and this is probably quite a Chicago thing, but I was like, I do just miss getting like pitchers of beer. (laughs) Um, And it's what, you know, like, which is like a stupid thing to say with pubs here, but it is just like, cause I feel like it's more, that's more of a community thing. Um, like I like when I had Louie on the show to talk about the Caipirinha, I think he spoke about how that's a bit of a thing in Brazil where mm. they get you get like tall bottles of beer, but then you share it around the table. Yeah. And I think in Chicago and I think in America in general, like you go to like a sports bar, like a pub, you know, a pub sort of place. 
I mean, you'll just get a pitcher of, you know, Bud Light and Miller Light or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's I'm, it's usually not going to be craft beer unless you're yeah. in a craft beer bar. But it's just, like, you just share it around the table. And it's I, I kind of, in some ways, I kind of like that a bit more than getting pints in a pub. Um, yeah, it is a nice atmosphere. Um, and I do, you know, for, for the, uh, you know, and, and my sort of frame of reference is D.C., but, you know, we lacked pubs, but we did not lack in craft breweries. Yeah, yeah. We had some really phenomenal craft breweries there, whereas I feel like, you know, most pubs, wherever you are in England, will have a local beer or two. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do, you know, and I, I need to just seek out more craft breweries in the UK. Yeah. Um, you know, I, in addition to the distilleries, and I have been to a few distilleries with great results. Um, but I do love that, that there's a real craft beer culture in, in the U S yeah. I also love that it's a great wine producing yeah. country. Yeah. Um, I went to university up in the Finger Lakes and I had some truly phenomenal wine there. Yeah. And in the DC area, Virginia is one of the biggest wine producing States in the country. So I do miss wineries. Yeah. Wineries. Yeah. Definitely. So there's trade-offs, honestly, both Definitely, ways. definitely. Yeah. No, I mean, and like you said, like it's anytime I go home, I think partly because my parents are whiskey drinkers. So when I go home and I, I do really like whiskey, mm-hmm. um, but when I go home, like I'll really hit the Manhattans and old fashions and stuff yeah. hard. Um, but I, I don't partly because of that, but also because of selection. Like I don't tend to go home and drink a million gin and tonics oh, um, yeah. because you, you go, you know, you go to a restaurant and you are going to get... It's like, going to be Bombay. It's going to be maybe. Bombay and like Schweppes. Um, and if there's anything I've gotten really snobby about recently, it's tonic water. Like I think actually more so than the gin. Like yeah. I think I could have it a shittier a gin. It makes a huge difference. Um, so yeah, it is, it is just interesting. I think no matter what, when you're like us and you've lived multiple places in your life, you're going to miss things from yeah. elsewhere that you've lived. But um, yeah, no, I do. I've, I feel like I've learned a lot. I also just, I think like in you know, similar for, for when you came here to do your master's and stuff. Like I moved here at a very interesting time and in like my drinking upbringing, mm-hmm. you know, like I did like, cause you drink in college, but you don't drink and you know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's not an elevated experience. But like Lime Marita. Yeah. I mean, like we slapped the bag of wine. Oh, like I was yeah. not, you know, it like <laughs> apothic red was considered like our celebratory bottle right. of wine. And that's like $7. Um, yeah. I remember big, buying, buying three liter jugs of wine yeah yeah like the gallop <laughs> up until <Yeah>. senior year <laughs> yeah exactly so it's like you you know you learn a lot about being intoxicated in college I wouldn't say you learn a lot about like right. what Drinking you actually culture. like to drink um and so the fact that I've learned that stuff in the UK I feel like has given me kind of a different palate than if I had kind of come up in mm-hmm. Chicago per se so find it yeah no that's an interesting thing, thing to think about because I think when I was in DC um you know I, I would visit cocktail bars but I would almost equally, if not more, drink wine and beer. Um, and I, I happen to live close to a few really great cocktail bars um, around the like Gallery Place, Chinatown area. But unless I was going out of my way, I wouldn't necessarily be drinking yeah. cocktail. Yeah. And um, so I, I really... And I love beer and wine now as well, but I wouldn't have made myself a a cocktail at home. If like, if I came home and I oh, wanted yeah. to have a drink yeah. after work, it would have been beer or wine. Yeah. And I really think that, that, you know, I've evolved to now, like if I'm going to have a drink to unwind, I'm going to make myself a cocktail. Yeah. Well, in a lot of ways it's, it's, it is more practical. I mean, for me, like I just don't, 
my my boyfriend is really into craft beer like and i mm-hmm. like i am too but that that is like the main thing that he enjoys drinking um so he'll buy different cans from cool shops and stuff like yeah. that for me i really enjoy beer but like i'm mostly uh like have a pint in an actual you know yeah. a, a pub or a bar versus like having cans at home and then wine i love it but you have to open a whole bottle, um, you know, to have it. So like in the middle of the week and a lot of times it is actually just more economical, um, to just make a a single cocktail. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, which is something that I've definitely taken advantage of in, in the last year. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think it's just a really nice way to unwind. Um, when I lived in Italy, I really got into the aperitivo culture where just, you know, an Aperol spritz with a little dish of potato chips on a piazza at the end of the day. I mean, that's, you know, you've peaked. Um, and when I started taking up mixology during quarantine, that's kind of how my mom and I would end our days. Yeah. You know, not every day, but we were, I was writing my dissertation at the time. She was working from home. So we would kind of follow a work day. Yeah. And then around five, I would make us a cocktail. We'd sit on the deck and yeah. we'd have a little snack. And it was a really nice way to unwind and just enjoy it. I find the cocktails incredibly refreshing Yeah, in a way that, that maybe a glass of red wine isn't. isn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I also think it's similar to cooking. It's a labor of love and you sit down and you drink it and you're like, I put this together myself yeah. um, versus just being like, right, I yeah. opened, you know, cracked open this bottle of wine. Now, do you usually either at home or out at a restaurant, would you drink a cocktail with dinner or would you switch to beer or wine to eat? Um, I, so I'm definitely a typically a person now I really like to start a meal with a cocktail like the first drink I order will be a cocktail um and then it honestly it just really depends I think on whoever I'm with um if I'm with someone who's not really a cocktail person then I'll probably switch to wine with them um or if I'm at a place um my friend and I have a place booked for next week and you know I'm one of those people who reads the menu three weeks before they go to the restaurant yeah I read the menu I check the Instagram I check the trip advisor I check the Yelp okay so yeah yeah. we're the same person (laughs) Um, so I was doing that earlier today and this place, um, it's like a Japanese Peruvian, um, fusion place in, in Soho. So I'm definitely going to be trying yeah. some Pisco cause I've never had yeah. like a Pisco sour. I haven't um, either. That's on my to-do list. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was looking at the, and you can just, I mean, first of all, like Japanese Peruvian fusion doesn't scream wine in general, that that would be their specialty. <laughs> but like looking at the menu and it's like the cheapest Sauvignon Blanc is like 60 quid a bottle. And so oh, already, okay. already, cause I've stocked all this already in my head. Yeah. I'm like, I don't think that's going to be like a wine meal. <laughs> like I think I probably would just have cocktails. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, for me, it really just depends. Um, but I definitely really like to start a meal with a cocktail. Yeah, me too. I, I really love either like going to a cocktail bar before, before a yeah, meal yeah. or or at a restaurant where I know that they've got they they do both cocktails and beer and wine very well. Yeah. I think it's a really nice way to ease into a meal. Cleanses the palate. Yeah. yeah. I mean my my you know my parents are really into cocktails. Um my boyfriend's parents aren't really um but even with them when we go for meals with them they always get a gin and tonic before mm-hmm. we actually order like a bottle of wine so i do, i think but with that and with my parents like i think it's just ingrained in me that i have some sort of like <laughs> spirit before yeah. i actually um before i actually eat yeah you know. yeah it's interesting gin and tonics are the drink of my family household as well like growing up my parents drink didn't drink a lot of spirits um my mom 
almost if she's not drinking a cocktail, she, she almost exclusively drinks Pinot Noir. Yeah. Um, and my dad enjoys a beer. I mean, my mom enjoys a beer too. We're very much a Corona and lime on yeah. the beach. Yeah. You know, type type of people. Um, but the only spirit that we always had in the house was gin yeah. or gin and tonics. Yeah. And it's just, you know, uh, that's the probably the first cocktail that I ever tried. You know, it's a great. You can drink it almost in any occasion, yeah. Any, yeah. any time, summer, winter, exactly. Yeah, yeah, we usually have them on, on Christmas. Usually yeah. around like mid afternoon on Christmas. Yeah. That's when we have the gin and tonics. Yeah. And so it's it's interesting. My family very much are also yeah. gin and tonic people. No, and I, th- I mean definitely in the UK, but even in the US as well. Like it's just something nice to have at home to offer to guests as well when they come over. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I'm definitely with you. And also, gin and tonics are just endless because there's you can. Mix up the gin. Yeah. You can mix up the tonic. You can mix up the garnish. You can yeah. add bitters. Like you can change <laughs> the vessel you serve it in. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, anyway, um, thank you so much for coming on the show. I feel like it has been an excellent chat. I've certainly learned a lot in the short amount of time that we've spoken. Where can obviously I said your Instagram account is on Wednesdays we make drinks. Yep. Um, so. Yeah, is that where the listeners should find you? Give yes. you a, a nice little follow, check out your Wednesday drinks? Yeah, that would be fantastic. Um, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, on Wednesdays we make drinks is where to find me. Um, I've really enjoyed this. This has been just so exciting uh, to, to do. Uh, this is the first time I've ever recorded a podcast. Uh, it was just great to, to talk about drinking and gin and and everything in between so thank you so much for having me this has been a real pleasure oh thank you emily come back anytime great